Welcome to the My Muy Bueno Chefs Get Personal podcast. I'm your host, Justine Murphy, founder and CEO of My Muy Bueno. I'll be interviewing a different chef each fortnight, but asking the very same questions and their answers are all very different, which is what makes each interview so inspiring. And a big hello and welcome back to another very exciting podcast and interview with yet another legend. I'm very excited. Three in a row uh, on the season so far. Uh, this is the third one coming up. Hope you are all well. Been keeping busy. We had a crazy heat wave here in London recently, which was a tad hot while busy filming away for Maca. My Muy Bueno Academy of Culinary Arts, our online academy, which is launching pretty soon now. We're on the countdown. Uh, I'll be sharing more and more about that as the final episodes of this season come to pass. Otherwise, been, yeah, busy with the chef agency. My Muy Bueno Private Chefs has been pretty bonkers busy as we're finishing the med season, going into the Caribbean season. Going to be announcing something about all of that very soon too, which is going to be epic. And then otherwise, what else have I been up to? Visited Akoi, which was incredible, like insane. Absolutely loved it. Definitely superseded my last experience a few years ago at the old site and adored every part of that. So I'll be getting that review written up in due course when I have a moment of time. And then have my winner's lunch with Code Hospitality as well last week, which was absolutely fantastic getting to celebrate my Leader of the Year award with all the other different winners too. So it was a very empowering week, lots going on. And yeah, let's talk, I guess, now all about this chef. What an incredible talent he is. I'm actually eating at his restaurant on Sunday. The restaurant I'm talking about is The Ritz. I've been there twice before and absolutely loved every part of it. And it's so funny, I hadn't gone to the Ritz for years, just because I thought it had this kind of pretentious, uptight kind of everything about it. I just kind of put me off. Those who know me know that I can't stand that whole kind of pretentiousness of certain places or people. But my goodness, the Ritz proved me wrong in all the ways. Not only is it the most beautiful and exceptional dining room. I mean, my goodness, it's stunning. Now I understand why men must wear a suit and tie, a blazer and tie, because why would you not want to dress up? It's an occasion to be able to go to the Ritz and enjoy immersing yourself in that environment. And in fact, I'm going on Christmas Day, taking my boys this year. Um, I was a little bit too late to the party last year, but this year I booked well in advance, six months in advance even, so my boys and I are going to go and have the best Christmas day this year there, which I'm very excited about. I am, of course, talking about the legend that is John Williams. The food is incredible. His team are insanely amazing. Obviously, his brigade is fantastic and everything that they're doing and putting out is just wow. But his front of house, his whole service team were just so lovely. They were hilariously funny. If you actually scroll back on my my Muy Bueno Instagram highlights, you'll see my experiences at the Ritz and just so comedic and so brilliant. And they just take away any sort of, there is no pretentiousness. It's pure professionalism, but also laughter and amazing service and just really, just good eggs, really, really lovely. What he's created there is just fantastic. And it's no surprise that he's been there for such a long time, flying the flag in all the ways. So I will stop yapping. <laughs> 
And let's go headfirst into this amazing interview with the incredible, a third legend on the podcast this season, which is Chef John Williams, everyone. John Williams, a very big welcome to Mime Way Bueno. Thank you. So good Thank to you have for you. inviting me. That's so good to have you here at last. John Williams, MBE. <laughs> this is huge. I did that. Literally, I was reading everything last night and researching everything about you. Just and, and wow, I mean, that's fantastic. So this is in 2008 by yeah. our now King Charles. Yes. Congratulations. I mean, that's incredible. It's one of the proudest things I've got. Sure. You know, um, wow. I was very, very chuffed over the moon, you know, delighted. I cried when I got it. The only person I told at the time was my mum. Gosh, she must have been just beyond and, proud, beyond measure. Like, you know, what? She's a little Geordie woman. I mean, she's passed away now, but she, you know, she's, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> how does that happen? Yeah, yeah. You know? It's wonderful so, to have that recognition. I mean, just, yeah. it must have been very surreal. Surreal is the word I would actually use. Yeah. Without like, doubt. I mean, I dream still... state, even going there and going just the whole thing, the whole process. Did that happen? Did well, that... I hadn't long been divorced. Right. And um, I was in my flat and I telephoned my mum and I walked downstairs. It was actually quite a nice day. And I walked. It's a lovely little walk that I've got. And um, I was sort of pinching myself and saying, this is not true. And I, I rang my daughter straight after and she got going on it, you know. And I just, honestly, I just kept crying and I didn't tell anybody else my son got to know later on okay it's just that overwhelming yeah. just like wow it's a lot to it process was. it's not an everyday occurrence is it, it that's was. the thing it's just it was actually quite special I mean I don't know if we've got time for this on the day that we went I had my daughter and my son and she was in her car because I was drinking right. I was going to we were going to have a lunch afterwards right and I'll never forget it I come on the M1 at Watford and the road stopped, and I telephoned Buckingham Palace six times in the journey because when I say it was stopping, and I've got a lovely little piece here, and I said, this is ridiculous. It was over an hour to get probably 200 metres. Stop. And my daughter said, I'm going to telephone my mum to pray to the angels of the road. Okay. And God's understood. So she did so. She was speaking to my mum, put the phone down, Five minutes later, I got out the car. It was that bad. People were out the car. And I looked. I said, it's moving. <laughs> and of course, Thank my daughter. You. That's what my daughter says. There we go. Thank we you, angels. There. That's it. Can you imagine? My daughter drove into Buckingham Palace and said, Mr. Williams? I said, blink and heck, how do you know my name? I said, you're the only one we're waiting for. Oh, that's a... <laughs> I love it. That's <laughs> <laughs> and going through a, a complete circle, my partner is Laura King, who's got a caveat business. Okay. And she got an MBE last year. Oh, my goodness. And she says, you know, and I do. Power I have spoke. <laughs> I've it. done a few jobs for the King in the past. And she said, you know, my partner, John Williams. And he said, oh, my goodness. He definitely needs somebody to look after him. So look after him. <laughs> That's it, you've got a reputation up for that day forward. <laughs> Make sure he gets to where he needs to go. <laughs> I love it, I love it. Great, what a lovely story. What really, it's absolutely fantastic. I can literally just That's the shortened version. Right, I'm sure, I'm sure. Right, John, how old are you now? I'm 64. 
64. Okay, it's still spring chicken. I'm yeah. coming up to 65 in August. Oh, fantastic. Oh, not long then. That's fantastic. That's a good time of year to have birthday celebrations as well. So how old were you when you first started cooking professionally? 16. Wow. Okay. Where um, was that? It was in a place called the Percy Arms Hotel in Otterburn. Very small coach house, country inn type of thing. It's, a, it's the main road from Newcastle oh. through to Edinburgh. Right. And, and that uh, was home at the time in that area, I'm guessing. South so that was, your, was right. where I come from. Okay. And um, I had written away for a job. I knew I was going to be a chef. How? I was already cooking at college. We had a link course for the last two years at school. Right. So at 14, I was going one day per week to South Shields College okay. to actually learn how to cook with a professional chef, which Opposed actually Opposed to a changed. home economics teacher or something, exactly. I guess. Okay. And he, you know, opened my eyes and used to tell me about the Mirabelle. Where my he gosh, was. okay. And... I decided wow. to be very quick and active. And I had a job three months in advance in this place, an apprentice. I got paid £9 a week. A week? Not an hour. <laughs> Hear that, everyone? A week. <laughs> For that, five split shifts and plus two breakfasts <laughs> a week. Oh, my goodness. And I used to have to go to college in my day off, straight up. Wow. And, um, I actually started doing that, but I was actually open to real French cooking. The general manager's wife was a French lady. Okay. And her father was on the board of Le Doyen. Wow. And she used to bring all kinds of different foods the first time that I saw foie gras. My goodness. And she'd bring different things, and I was fascinated. I was about to say, because you've never seen it, you've never been exposed to it before. She loved my enthusiasm, and she really took me under her wing. And I had my first... Lover. <laughs> Her au pair. <laughs> Stop it, really? <laughs> so we became French. very she friendly. She was French as well. Uh, well, I do say if you want to learn to speak a language. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, what actually happened was I got all of this and I thought the food I want to cook in real Geordie language was very posh food. Okay, right. And I wanted to get the, the very, very exclusive ingredient that you could get. And it wasn't in the Northeast then. So I actually applied for a job in the Royal Garden Hotel. They wrote back to me, offered me a job, give me accommodation. Off I went to London within, I was 16 and a half. Oh my goodness, that's incredible. And I actually arrived there, loved it. And my, my first day, I'll never forget, there was a 400 lunch and a 400 dinner. Paul Gaylor was my chef to party. And um, real cockney lad and anyone that knows Paul. And uh, he took me under his wing. And I just literally set off. The only thing was I got, I got quite homesick. Okay. After one year, okay. I left. But here's the twist. I got a job in the northeast. Started the job, did three shifts and said, I've done the biggest mistake of my life. I'm sure. Telephone Remy Fougere, who was the executive chef. I said, I've made a mistake. He said, okay, see you Monday. So I had a week off. Okay. <laughs> Love it. Went back. The grass is not there. greener. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and stayed there for seven years. Seven years. I mean, your longevity, I must say, your CV longevity, John, is very impressive. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do stay. 
I am not the believer of people moving around. Jumping around everywhere, exactly. What they think is that they're learning something new. Everywhere. But then the reality is you may learn a recipe, but you don't learn how to manage, how to grow, how to ask yourself a question. I often say there's hurdles in kitchen, and unless you learn to jump those hurdles, yeah. you'll never be able to manage a kitchen. And that later comes on. with time and experience, and you 100%. need to have that time. You've got to go through the process of learning to do something. You've got to go through the situation of how do I overcome this problem? Yes, of course. You know, so many chefs will say, oh, well, I'm off there. They think they're learning something, but the, what happens is as soon as they get a problem, they move on again. Yeah. And that's and that's a weakness. Yeah, 100%. That's not yeah. how to do life. It's, yeah. yeah, exactly. Agreed. As an agent and all the chefs of my books who exactly look at one CV and you see they've jumped yeah. around everywhere, no one's interested. And yeah. commitment and loyalty even is a huge attribute to exactly. have. So, yeah, no. Stick it out, people. Very important. So you've stuck it out, though, at Savoy and Claridge's. The Savoy Group. Savoy Group, okay. Yeah. I actually... So you were never actually in the Savoy itself? Did you ever get to... I was offered the job there oh. a couple of times. And you turned it down? As executive chef. Why did you say no? I always believed, the very simple answer, I became executive chef in the Barclay, first right. off. I was the number two in Claridge's for nine years. Right. Savoy Group moved across to the Barclay right. as executive chef was doing what I thought was a very, very good job, just starting to make it move and change. Right. Then Claridge's came up and Mr. Paharas rang me up another moment and he says, John, I want you to know you're going back home. Oh. I cried again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and wow. off I went back to Claridge's after 18 months. Wow. And I stayed there for 10 years. I was offered the job. Anton Edelman left. Right. And they wanted me to go across to the Savoy and run that. Now, my belief is that with 200 guests in a banquet, I can give you what I believe is hot cuisine in a banquet. Okay. More than 200, and if you do that twice a day, it's very difficult to control. You have to have a very fixed brigade to be able to maintain that. And I just felt I was in control with 200. That's a personal of course, point of view. Yes. And um, I said, no. And they would come back and say, you know, you should really think, you know, it's the Savoy. I said, no. I had other vision. Okay. When I became chef of the Barclay, I already said, I will be chef of this hotel, that hotel, that hotel, or that hotel. Okay. And there wasn't many. Okay. And let me tell you, I've done two of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Understood. The Connaught was a great hotel. One of my mentors was Michel Bourdain, and I just loved the Connaught as well. Sure, yes. No, I mean, so much prestige of these hotels. So you joined in 2004, the Ritz, though, which is fantastic, and of course went on to win your the Michelin star, which really should be two Michelin stars. I was there screaming that, like, ah! Yeah. I mean, you're delivering. You Twice I've eaten now at the Ritz and just blown away by the two-star stand you're upholding. So next year. Next year is your year. Well, it depends how Michelin see the hotel. And it's a question for Michelin, that. True. I know where we are. Yeah? 
It's just many. I mean, I think everyone was gobsmacked, to be honest. Really, it was kind of a sure thing. Yeah. You're the horse that everyone would put money on to say, you have two stars in the bag. So, and when you didn't, it was like, what is going on here? Well, we all know you're at two star. Thank that's, you. that's what's important. So we'll come back, we'll talk about some of the food that I love so much at yours and get you, <laughs> we'll cover that. But let's carry on, moving swiftly on. What's your earliest and fondest first memory of food? Oh, that's easy. I came from a family of six. Okay. I was the second oldest. My mother had already chosen me by the age of 11 to help her with the shopping and to help her cook. Now, how did that happen? And I can always remember the very first time. I used to play football all the time. I was sport mad. And I was playing over the back fence, as it were. And I seen my mum pop her head over Sunday lunch over the fence. And she said, John, get in here now. You need to come and give us a hand. <laughs> I went in and she says, I want you to scrape those potatoes, those jerseys. And I said, oh, you know. She said, just do that, do that. Anyway, I did the pot of potatoes. In those days, you know, a big family, you eat lots of potatoes. A lot of potatoes, potatoes, yes. And I made that, and I also made mint sauce. Oh. And my mum had this chip cup. Okay. Did you have mint in your garden then? Yes. Right. And she chopped the mint, put a little bit of sugar, a little bit of salt, a little bit of vinegar, and a little bit of water, put it in the cup, and popped it in the oven. Okay. And And the cup... It's a few years. My mum's passed away now, but it's a few years ago that I went back and I seen that cup. <laughs> still got the chip and everything. Oh, yeah, but it's still there. It's still surviving. Yeah. Okay. And I says, what you got this for? Me mint sauce, man. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. But the beauty of this one was, and it shows the love of it. When I scraped and cooked the potatoes, it was probably 20 minutes before she was serving. She gave me three jerseys with melted butter oh. over the top. Jerseys are one of my favourite things in the world. I, I can't tell you Delicious. how much I Delicious. love them. In my kitchen, right. to this day, they hide and always have done. It's sort of a sport. And they'll say, whatever you do, hide those jerseys or you'll eat them all. That's you really t- do love t- them. Oh, wow. I, honestly, the taste of Jersey. And my kids, you know, they'd laugh. They're grown up. I mean, yeah, yeah. But they, Dad, Jersey's starting. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Wonderful. Right. So this is going to be interesting. Which chefs inspire you most and why? Well, first and foremost, they're French. Yeah. That's the interesting thing. Mm, that's what you've always just been drawn to. Yeah. I think, you know, over the years, I love Raymond Blanc. Michel Bourdin was like God to me. He's the only person that I've never said no to. Wow. Okay. He used to come to me and say, John, we've got the Grand Table uh, du Monde coming as a banquet. I need you to do the banquet. I don't do the banquets. We'd do 200, and I created Egg Fabergé for that, um, which wow. is a, quite a special dish. Wow. For 200, and there's about 10 three-star chefs at the, the oh. dinner all going, wow, this is crazy. Oh. But he was quite a man. He created the, the Royal Academy of Col- or the Academy, and he had the vision for the Royal Academy. Right. Along with Sarah Jane, and a lot of other chefs, I might add, at the You've time. You've been chairman of that for a long time Yeah, now. yeah. In actual fact, he said to me, he said, one day you're going to be chairman. 
And I, you know, I mean, his vision for you this year, but he was a fantastic trainer of chefs and developing chefs. You know, I love the Rue brothers, amazing people and two very different characters, but Mm. I love them both equally in different circumstances. Okay. Albert and Michel Senior. I think they're just fantastic with the way that they actually taught us. Okay. We don't show enough respect where cooking is today, Yes. what the French did. Yeah. And I'm talking in the 70s. You know, that's when the, the real work started in actually, come on, let's roll our sleeves up. Let's get better. Let's really make this into something and understand why food is executed in such a way to get to the table so people get excited. Yeah. And for me, that was very, very important. I mean, the great chefs of France, they all inspire me, whether it's the Trois-Gros Brothers, um, Bocuse, you know, I've been part of the Bocuse team here in, in Britain for many years. Wonderful. You know, as a person that's always been a, a very good friend to me and a, a listening shoulder was Brian Turner. Hey, wow. You know, great sound advice all the time. You know, those people to me are very, very special. And they are special people. So I've always had this thing with French inspiration rather than anything. I think at the moment they're not in the same place in France. And that's for the reasons where we were in the 70s, where you have to roll up your sleeves and work through it. Yes. Whereas, you know, the working time directive that they have, they're not putting the energy in. That's my humble opinion. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I see that, you know, in a lot of places nowadays. But, you know, they would be the ones that always inspired me to to grow. Okay, fantastic. And speaking of, I'll bring it up now. I remember the first time I came to the Ritz, I must say, I hadn't gone to the Ritz for such a long time, all because I had this impression that it was going to be stuffy and pretentious. And my goodness, and even when I tell people now, they're like, you mean it's not? And I'm like, no, go there. It could have been further from that, the whole experience. And I remember every, you know, Matt, oh, I don't want to have to wear a jacket and da-da-da. You know, but it's the Ritz. I want to put a posh frock on. I want to go and, you know, feel special when I go there and dress up. You know, yeah. put a jacket and a tie on because it's a special occasion going to the Ritz. But walking in for the first time, in fact, any time, even the second time, for breathtaking your dining room. I mean, it's just looking up, just taking it all in. It's just magnificent. But then sitting down to the comedy vibes with your team, they're hilarious. They're brilliant. I just love the banter and the, but the professionalism is uphold. Nothing's compromised, but it could be further from, it's not pretentious or stuffy in any way. It's wonderful. The experience is just, it's just pure happiness. It's beautiful. It's just everything. It makes every ingredient sing even more. Because and, Well, we focus on exactly that. Yeah. Because you have a stage. Number one, the restaurant, even when I first went there, the restaurant sets the stage. In actual fact, historically, people were not cooking what I call haute cuisine in right. the Ritz. Okay. It was quite mixed up. Okay. And I just felt... That, for an example, you used store cook pots. Okay. And they were serving them there. And I said, what the hell <laughs> are you serving them in there? When you've got a room like that, it's fine crystal, great silver, and beautiful china. Yes, absolutely. It's as simple as that. Yeah, yeah. And of all of those things have to be in there. 
And of course, that sets the stage. Yeah. The king of the food and beverage in that hotel is the room, not the chef. Mm. And you have to follow. Yes. The moment that you understand that and create the style of food that's befitting for it. The reason why I was so sensitive towards it when I started was very simple. When I arrived there, I thought you'd hear food critics and they weren't saying anything was wrong. What they would say is, but does the food match the room? Huh. And oh, it yeah? actually highlighted yes. it to me. And I went on the first couple of months I was there, I took the whole brigade up to the restaurant after a service because I wasn't very happy. I made them look up at the ceiling, look at the room. I said, do you think your food matches this room? It's very distinct mm. and it was in me. Yeah. Uh, but very powerfully that the change was going to come like that. Yeah. And, you know, I really have this desire. Now, as far as the service guys, you look at those, yeah, they've got tails on. Oh, just been... And they have to work hard. They have to be natural. They have to be nice. Yeah. Because otherwise people would say, what? Very stiff. Mm. And we can't be. No. Modern agreed. day hospitality should never be stiff. Yes. Agreed. And when you're dressed like that, believe me. It's a first impression. That's what people <laughs> think exactly. it's going to be. But it's such a theatre. And then the coming, I've never experienced anything like it. But for me, it was the press because I've never seen, but it was the pigeon press. Yeah. And they all came out, you know, and the sauce was being made and then watching the steps with the, and I've never experienced anything like it. And then I remember you very quickly afterwards explained to me, and it'd be good for you to share here because it's obviously the, it's usually duck that yes. goes in. Oh, it's kind of yeah, we, we've only done the pigeon in the last few years. Right. Um, it's very much Canada La Presse. I love haute cuisine. I love historical food. What we've got to do is learn from the past. Yes. And actually evolve the cooking that we do. Yes. But you see, I think that's the perfect kind of dish Incredible. in a room like we have. Yes. And I started it in Claridge, as a natural fact. I had a press in Claridge's, and I actually used to set a table in what was the butchery and invite guests, and I always did Canada Press. Huh. Wow. And people just used to go, what's this? Wow, because you've never uh, seen you, anything like it before. But you talk to people about it, the history of the dish, where it come from, how it's actually evolved. So Paris. Yes, and that's right, chocolate. Freddie. Oh. There was a chef called Frederick, oh. and he had a little restaurant, and he was the man that actually started doing it. However, Escoffier right. actually took hold of it, brought it to, to London. London right. in the Savoy, etc. Um, and you So know, London and moved. the Savoy was where that first But was... have you seen how many uh, duck presses are coming out now? It's almost become vogue. Oh, really? <laughs> really? Everyone... Honestly, you'd be amazed. You will be amazed. There we go. And I just go. Yeah, exactly. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure. It was fantastic. What really, I, and I loved it. The whole experience, but the flavour. And, and don't get me started on your langoustine dish, because that dish is just exceptional. Been cooking the langoustine dish for more than 30 years. That's why it's so good. <laughs> You've yeah. honed it. The evolution perfect. of it is very, very limited. The sauce it's hasn't really changed. changed at all. And... You know, when I talk about the great chefs of France, yes, they would do dishes à la nage Again. in a pool. And it was the perfect kind of dish because it allows... You've got to have the very best quality langoustine, 
they're, they're cooked fresh every day. Mm. You have to. Yeah. And basically, it's having a sauce that is subtle, soft, allow the longestine to get, yeah. Have the glory. Yeah. 100%. Mm. Yeah. And it's simple vegetables. Mm. Yeah. Few herbs, yeah. a little bit of white wine, a little bit of vermouth, aromatic herbs, away you go. Delicious. It's the simplicity of it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, allowing very, the ingredients simple. to speak yeah. for themselves. That's, That's it. Like made That's exactly love. what it is. Yeah? yeah. Wonderful. Right. What are your two favourite cookbooks and why? Great Chefs of France. Of course. <laughs> it is a magnificent book. It's a storybook about the life of the three-star chefs in the 70s, 70s and 80s. It's a great book. Okay. It has recipes. Right. However, it's the story of how they worked. Right, yes. And what they did to produce, but how it actually evolved. You had basically three-star chefs and where they learnt. Oh, wow. That was what it was more about. Fascinating. Okay. Um, And you had the Pyramid Restaurant in uh, Vonas, and um, that was a three-star. And, of course, they all went there to learn Bocuse the lot. Wow. And it produced some 17 of the 30 chefs that were in there. Wow. All three-star. So, you know, you can imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible. And that is a great book for what it is, especially it was probably one of the most inspirational books for me. Okay. You know, I would do things later on in life because I had read it there. Wow, fantastic. <laughs> and just go and visit you know, these places, I yeah. guess, and experience oh, yeah. them. I've and... actually visited certainly more than 20. Wow. You know, that were Fabulous. in the Fabulous. That's you fantastic. Know. I've been very privileged like that. That's and wonderful. that's one of the great things. But that's from all your hard work that's taken yeah. you to be able to afford that lifestyle and to experience all yeah. those things and come full circle in all of them. And wonderful. Any other books? Any yeah. other cookbooks that you would... It's got to be the Escoffier's Guide to Cuisine. Right, okay. Because I'm a follower of Escoffier and yeah. Andritz. Okay. I'm a real, true follower and disciple of Escoffier. Okay. But I'm a person that believes in how he operated. Even then, he was a very forward man, along with Cesaritz, and they would... One of the expressions Escoffier used to say... He said, the cuisine, it starts in the morning, it finishes at night, and then you start again the next day. Boom. If you think about that, that's when you get good cooking. Yeah, of course. Genius. And yeah, Yeah. that's it. That is it. Love it. Which two ingredients could you not live without? Vanilla. Aha. You know, people say things about vanilla. Vanilla is the foundation of all patisserie. Okay, yes. You know, because... You, it depends on if you want pure vanilla or you want a base or a level of flavoring that comes out in a dessert. Okay. Without doubt, vanilla for me is the most beautiful aromatic flavor there is. Yeah. Okay. It makes Without you go doubt. weak at the knees, doesn't it? It's yeah. that intoxicating. Oh, it Wonderful. You know. So when did you, how much pastry, did you get quite heavily involved in pastry over the years? Did I you know? Never I've got sucked it, in that yeah. direction. You never fell in love with wanting to you, do You both. know, you go through the process, et cetera. But let me tell you, the pastry chef wouldn't do nothing without me because of my palate. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got a bloody sweet tooth. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jerseys and sweet all the tooth. sweet stuff. Yeah. What's yeah. another ingredient you couldn't live without? Um, probably lemon verbena I love. Oh, okay. 
I have been using lemon verbena for probably 30 years. Nobody was using it. Wow. So much so I had to grow it in the garden. Wow. I used to have a bush and I used to take the lemon verbena. That's fabulous. Um, and that, was, honestly, it's at least 30 years. Now everybody talks about it as though it's, you know, I just bought a new plant this year actually for the garden. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> but I, I do love that sort of lemon flavor lemons i love yes i really really do love lemons but that slightly spicy aromatic lemon flavor mm. that lemon verbena gives you different yeah and as an infusion yes it is absolutely stunning incredible and i always even those years ago you know when i only used to warm it to approximately 55 degrees right and then wrap it with cling film to infuse even in sauces, huh. it gives off a much better flavour like that. Wow. Top tip. Yeah. Love that. <laughs> Great. Thank you. What is your favourite comfort food to cook at home? That's a difficult one. Because when you've been in the kitchen all day or doing everything that you're doing on your incredible menu, when you go home just to relax and unwind, you're not there whipping yeah. up your langoustine dish. So what are you, what's your... It's probably a simple roast. Everyone's answer. Yeah. Everyone loves it. it roast is. chicken. Or what's Sunday, your favorite roast? It can honestly, it can be any. Okay, with all the trimmings. I'm going to. Say, I'm going to say, generally speaking, it's either chicken, beef, or pork, or lamb. Yes, same. Yes. Yeah. But with all the trimmings. Yeah. Gonna have the cauliflower cheese, the roast potatoes, yeah. pigs in blanket, Yorkshire puddings, regardless of beef <laughs> or not. <laughs> Good gravy. But I'm when I at home all the time. The one thing that I do do is eat very, very simply. Sure. You know. But you're tasting so much all the time. All those desserts. <laughs> Keep it nice and simple at home. But yeah. that's perfect. That's all you, yeah, you don't want for anything else. Just no. nice, good, simple ingredients. Good. And now we're warming up now. So barbecue time as well, which is always fantastic. I love, love a good barbecue. barbecue. Yeah. I yes. Love I've barbecued the last two weekends. Yeah, no, me too. It's great. My, so much easier, isn't it? Less washing up. <laughs> my son and daughter come over every weekend to see me. And the first thing is barbecue time, Dad. Fantastic. Yeah, and, it's good you know, done. Same as everyone else, you know. I, I like to actually marinate a little bit of pork. I like pork belly on the barbecue. Ooh, yes. Obviously chicken. Yum. Yes, um, yum. The thing is, it's the marinades and things that you'll do. Chicken, the same thing, I'll marinate it. Sometimes I'll do it with just herbs. I love, I mentioned that I love the taste of Amalfi lemon. Okay. Let me tell you, there's nothing like it. Menton or Amalfi is my lemon. Right. But it's so much more aromatic and flavor and sweetness. And, you know, I love to marinate things in a little bit of olive oil, garlic, lemon, and maybe rosemary or thyme. Lovely. So it's quite simplistic. Yes. You know, but that little bit of lemon, it just gets me. Oh, oh, oh it makes me hungry now. <laughs> if you could eat in any Michelin star restaurant in the world today, where would it be and why? So somewhere you haven't been before. And if time and if you could just do this and you could be transported there now, where would it be? Well, I'm going. Oh. Later on this year to flock on the cell. Okay. Now there's a reason for that. Right. The chef or owner of flock on the cell, uh, Emmanuel Renault, uh, worked for me in Claridge's. He was my chef 
in the restaurant when huh? I was executive chef. Right. Very young man. He created, a, he was cooking a couple of dishes there, which I absolutely adored. And um, I haven't actually been to his restaurant and he's now got three star. Oh, gosh. Okay. Uh, so you're like, that's it. I'm making it happen. Yeah. So on that ground alone, that particular. Fantastic. You know, they talk about foraging and things. He came from Mark Verrat. Right. He, worked, he was head chef of Mark Verrat before he came to us. And um, foraging, and I'm talking, I'm going to say it was about 26 years ago. Wow. And they were already foraging he was doing all the it time, then. naturally. Right. So much so, he went into the park. This is God's truth. Um, and it was Kensington Gardens. Okay. And forgive me for not remembering, but I can't remember exactly what it was. Okay. But he picked it in Kensington Gardens and a policeman come running <laughs> after him. No. Oh, no. What for? <laughs> Why did he do this? <laughs> Only a royal palace garden. <laughs> That's true. Did, did, did he run away with it? Did he take it though? Whatever yeah. he yeah. Oh no, like... he brought it in. <laughs> love it. Yeah. I love it. And uh, well, who are you taking as your guest? It'll be my partner. Fantastic. Uh, wonderful. Yeah. Lovely. It's going to be an enjoyable, ex wonderful experience. Oh, she loves food, and we we love to go and eat in various places all the time. I'm sure. Uh, wonderful. And I really enjoy. I'm actually going to Core next week. I've, I've been a few times. Okay. But I think Claire is the shining light in this country. She's absolutely, absolutely amazing. Yeah. Leagues ahead of yeah. others doing amazing things. And she's a woman as well. Yeah. So, yeah, it's wonderful. Very inspiring. You. Very, very inspiring. Wonderful. Great. Now, on to about chefs. What do you look for in a good chef? Number one, a discipline. Yes. There has to be, you have to have a very, very strong discipline. Yes. A person that is hardworking. You have to be hardworking because you have to do it day in, day out. It's yes. no good doing it once. Organised. A palate. This would help. You know, so many chefs don't have palates. Wow. <laughs> wow. They don't, trust me. What do you do about that then? Do you just train it's them? trying to, to educate them. I, okay. You know, what I've done in my life is... When you do something, the best one that I can tell you is sometimes when a sauce is slightly overcooked. Okay. Let's say it's been stewed. Okay. Just adding a little few drops of water and then you see a sauce open back up. Refresh it. Acidity is so important and it's making people understand acidity. And if it's acidic, it's not good. Yes. But to have a je ne sais quoi of just that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly that. You have to go through processes to show them. Mm. And the only way is to constantly taste things with people and show them the difference. differences between. And then they start actually oh, getting, you know, it, slowly, getting it. Surely. Okay. Seasoning. Even yes, seasoning, course. you know, to get the wrong kind of seasoning and the, the use of salt. Yeah. I know people say, you know, you've got to be careful with salt, et cetera, et cetera. But without salt, more salt, more salt, needs more salt. <laughs> but it's how you use, you, mm. you know, when you're cooking, it's no good adding a load of salt. It's better that you're doing it Less. at different times. And again, tasting, tasting, exactly. tasting, more because tasting. Because you then get the layers of flavour that come through, but you'll also not over-season. 
Yeah. So that's very important. Again, making sure, again, tasting, it's just so important. So important. Again, so many chefs don't necessarily taste when they're cooking, which is ridiculous. But, you know, somebody with good common sense, common sense is so important in our industry, in the kitchen. You'll be amazed. There's a lot of people who don't. And when I was younger, I'd say, this is an easy game because I felt there were people that didn't have any common sense. Mm, scary. And it, it, it's just about actually doing the right things at the right time and moving forward. And cooking, uh, you know, to have that desire to cook. Yes. Because if you don't have it and, you know, try to actually make a flavour, make a change in a taste, you're not really working. Yeah, yeah. And there's nothing better when somebody brings a beautiful dish or a beautiful sauce. See, taste that. And I'm, you know, I'm very boisterous when something is good. You know, I'll just say, that's it. But in a very different way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So how, do, how many have you got on your, in your brigade now? There's 63. That's incredible. We've got a budget of uh, 70, but 63 is what we've got. Fantastic. Wow. It's, we've got a very big pastry you know we've got 17 18 in the pastry because of the afternoon tea and everything you know the pastries that are there we home bake everything well when i say that everything is made on the premises in the ritz yes and that's something that was quite novel at the time when we did it because a lot of places were doing the opposite right yes but the only thing i don't do 100 percent is all of our bread because okay. of the sandwich bread. We use 300 Volume. loaves a day. 300? In the afternoon tea and things uh, and, and the rest of the hotel. Okay. Although you just be making bread all day long, yeah. although our whole team devoted but to bread, bread making makes no sense. The bread for the restaurant and everything, all of the viennoiserie and things is all made in, I, in-house. Okay. So Fantastic. we're very purist as far as that's concerned. Wonderful. So wonderful. What advice would you give to chefs starting their career paths now? Uh, Very, very simple. Go to someone who is what I think is a master at what they do. Stick with them. Yes. Don't don't move around. I, I would honestly say, please do not move around. There's much more to a kitchen and if you're working with the right people, they're changing. Yeah. The food evolves. Mm. So you don't have to go into a hundred places to find a recipe or whatever. Because if you look at London, you know, there is fashionista, you know, food, but it is always evolving in a way. I learn myself from my young team. Yes, of course. You know? And you know, they're pushing and pushing, but you've got to allow that to happen. Yes. If you're restricting, it doesn't naturally happen. And seasonality, if you're working seasonality, you will actually come with new things all the time. Of course. Point is doing the same thing as what you did last year. Yes. It's how do we make it better? What do we do there? Yeah. And that's the way we operate. Wonderful. I would want people to go to people that are serious, that they're, hardworking because it, they also demonstrate what it takes if they're hardworking, you know, great masters and things. And they will guide you yeah, because they believe in it as well. Whereas, you know, so many times, you know, you'll go to a place and may be disappointed. And we are not keeping hold of enough young chefs at all. 
Yeah. You know, there is a pathway. Uh, and it, I dare say, a lot of people say it's a young man's game. And it's all to do with how you actually proceed and what you become. Of course. And there's many routes in our industry as well. Yeah. You know, and there's lots of different levels. Mm. So it's finding your right path as well yeah. is, is vitally important. But learn to be a great cook, first of all. That's my humble understanding of what you should do. And in, would you say, and in all areas, again, if you're I, staying in one place, you're going to be you exposed want, to everything in that You have place. to. Yeah. Because the more that you do, if you don't have any understanding of areas of the kitchen, you will fall down at some point. Of course. You know, whereas if you've got a good knowledge of everything, yeah. you know, you cook differently as well. Whole arsenal. And the confidence. Mm. Yes, of course. Cooking is a confidence thing. Mm. There's a couple of things that people don't, quite get a confident cook will always make something better than somebody that's just not sure okay the other thing of course is actually the precision and execution because at the end of the day where is it measured it's measured on the table mm. it's not measured when the chef's tasting something it's measured the by the guests sitting eating. down yeah so that execution mm -hmm. it's never finished at the hot plate it's on the table yeah that's why so many chefs are, are pushing their way into restaurants and saying, look, we need that to be like that. And without educating people, you you know, you don't get that result. Yes, of course. Wow. Yeah. So true. So true. How has the pandemic, or how did the pandemic affect your restaurant? And how did you adapt and evolve throughout? Well, the first thing, when the pandemic came, I think I, I mentioned earlier on to you, the Ritz staff yeah. were very, very fortunate. We got a new owner come on. He paid every single member of staff all the way through, which was Incredible. you know, quite unique yeah. uh, in that particular time in our industry. So they didn't feel it in quite the same way. Yeah. And the place closed down, you know, went home. And everything was quiet, and I live in a very quiet place. And, you know, you'd look outside and you'd say, well, nobody's there, nobody. And if somebody came out the door, you know, you'd, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the way it closed down, and we weren't allowed to go in, there was only a very small team of maintenance and security Just that stayed. Just to ensure was ticking over. Ticking over of and making sure it's working. And I remember the first time that I went back in, but it was ghostly. Yeah, Ghostly. And I had a photograph that John Carey took of me. And I hate looking back at it. It, it was a great photograph. I was, it's in the I remember restaurant. he went and he did a whole yeah. kind of set of all the chefs and yeah, in, in their the empty restaurants. And the way that it's actually set, you say, yeah, that's an important photograph because it, it did sum up so well. It was ghostly. And that's the only way I describe it. But when we kicked off and we were getting ready to come back, I discussed with all of the staff, I said, everybody is actually changing. They're worried about their staffing. They're worried about this. And with cause, uh, they had a reason. Yes. And we weren't quite in that position because we had, I think, probably 98% of the people came back. Wow. And they said, well, are we going to change? I said, change? No, we're just going to get better. Yeah. And that's the, the reality. 
we said, well, will we change the ingredients? Will we be able to cook this? I said, why wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. They haven't stopped yet. They still exist. It's like, yeah. You know, <laughs> What's but, the zombie apocalypse? <laughs> it was. Well, it felt like it in London with all the streets so empty. But, but so many restaurants and, and so many places, no matter what, they didn't have the stuff and they had to yeah, uh, adapt change. everything. And yeah. I'll say, well, why do we? We don't need to. Yeah. What we need to do is just Take actually it up get better. Yeah. yeah. And we use the same ingredients. We pushed on with the same way. And, you know, for me, I think it was actually a great time to really highlight certain things. And we looked at the restaurant in a different way. Okay. With the new owners, we decided to cap at 70 covers right. in the restaurant. Previous to that, we were doing quite a few more. Wow. Uh, a lot more. And the average was much higher per day, seven days a week. Okay. But I was excited because it's all I knew. Yeah. And, you know, people might be sitting there saying, you must be quite sad if you just want to get back in the kitchen and work. It's your livelihood, it's your passion, it's your world. It's life, it's your life. I love the Ritz, I love the atmosphere, I love speaking to guests, I love discussing food, I love going back with the guys in the kitchen. And the pride they have, you know, that whole link of customer and how you chat with them and... I still walk down the Ritz Long Gallery down towards the restaurant and I say, it's amazing. I often say to people, well, it makes you feel like a millionaire. Uh, yes, exactly, exactly. And that's your, your walk to work every day. I mean, it's wonderful. Can you share any wisdom from that whole experience with others? And did you change? And did you find that your cooking changed? Like, what were you doing on lockdown? You know, were you climbing the walls though? I mean, you, did you play with food? Did you cook? Did what we kind of? Well, I lived on my own. Right. Wow. That's what I still do at the moment. I yeah. So every that, morning. that must have been very hard. You've gone from being with your huge team and interacting with everyone and your guests, and then suddenly being isolated like that. Well, very early on, I said to myself, I was quite a heavy guy, and um, I said, how can I? actually get something positive out of this and I said I'm going to put myself on a diet oh well you didn't have any of the all the sweet stuff in, with, the, with the not being in work it so was easy stuff. yes uh, and that's uh, you know we went from you know eating all <laughs> kinds of sweet bread and everything every day the thing that I actually banned myself from was the sugar elements right and I did have bread once a week Okay, it's a treat. Yeah. Yes. Um, but the, the other thing that I did every single morning, and it was for a minimum of one hour, I'm fortunate, I live in a countryside type of effect, and I would just have this walk, and it would be approximately an hour, an hour 15. And at that time, it was all about doing walks and things and uh, how many calories it would burn and what it was doing, and I started to diet and I went from 123 kilos I think to 100. Wow. I am now back to 109 today. Okay. I was actually getting and I'm about to actually really work hard and bring it back down a little bit. Okay, you look fantastic though. But, so but it, it did me the world of good. I mean, that. That was a, yeah. And I'll always remember I used to get to where I live and I'd get to a certain point and that's it. Now today you're just going to do another little lap around where my house is and things and the gardens and that. 
and it would be another 10 minutes. And then I, the next day, I would say, maybe I'd do two. But it was something that was very, very positive because I was out getting fresh air. Yes. I took that time to think. Okay. I would do most of the Zoom meetings um, late morning or in the afternoon because that's the way it felt. Yes. So every morning I would still be up at 7 o'clock, 7.30, and, you know, off I would go. Wonderful. And that was the... But it, you know what? I just wish I could do it again. And work has got in the way. Yeah. And when I went back to work, I used to drive into work and I used to walk around along German Street, go down under the Royal Horse Guards and then walk around St. James's Palace and back up. Fantastic. Just to get a little bit. But it's drifted, you know. So that was very good. The Zoom and everything, I, I, I didn't like Zoom because I felt you'd have lots of people on a Zoom meeting and everybody felt they had to say something no matter how stupid it was. <laughs> and I used to sit there and cringe. Oh, God. And I would be longing for a cup of tea. <laughs> Where's John gone again? He's left. He's no, gone. I would never, I wouldn't move. So you'd sit there and wait, like, come I on, would, everyone, hurry I up. wouldn't move. <laughs> but uh, there was a young girl who worked in our banqueting department. She telephoned me up one night and she says, you know, chef, we need you to uh, come to this party, a Zoom party. Oh, no, stop. Where everyone has a glass of wine. I refused to do anything like that. No way. Well, <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> it was quite a thing. And the, <laughs> there were some nice people there. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? I'm going to open a bottle of champagne. Well, before long, I've drank this champagne. <laughs> and I'm getting noisy. And apparently I was in, I was hilarious. And they made me dress up. I forgot what I had to dress up. And I said, why did you send me this? We want you to dress up, chef. And for some reason I did. That's all the champagne Never. you drank. <laughs> but it, that was the only time what that I remember What did you dress up? I've got this vision in my, in my mind now. What were you dressing? Do you know what? I forgot what, there was a hat. Not your chef hat. No. I've had John bring his chef hat here no, today. No. <laughs> it, I forgot what the hat was. But um, I had to wear this hat and a shirt or something over. And, you know, they were just, everybody was asking me questions. I'm going, why are they asking me? And I was getting worse, obviously. But I know I drank over a bottle of champagne. <laughs> and the other thing, oh, this is another bit. I bought myself the, what's it called that opens, the, that takes wine without the cork, removing the cork. I forgot the name of the blinking things. Not the suction thing. The, yeah. Okay, it, it, I know what you it mean. It pierces the cork and you pour the wine I, in a vacuum. Okay, yeah. I forgot the name of yeah. it. Yeah. And I bought one because I said, well, you're not going to drink loads of wine or anything by yourself. Do you know? Famous last words. <laughs> the interesting thing is I didn't actually drink in that time. Okay. And by it's the time... It's a good thing because you were on a diet. Otherwise it would have been all your calories back on through alcohol. So. And I still haven't used it. <laughs> That's... That means when you do open a bottle, yeah. you finish it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it, John. Right. Well, that's it. I'm going to quick look through my notes to see. There's only one final thing I wanted to make sure we cover here before we wrap. You've cooked for the Queen. Oh, yeah. I mean, that must have been, again, surreal and incredible. My, I did a couple of private dinners as well for the Queen. <sighs> Lady Elizabeth Hansen asked me to, before she passed away, just before the Queen, in Notting Hill. And she said... I want you to come and cook this dinner for me because uh, Lady Elizabeth was a, uh, she's a good friend. Okay. 
and um, she did party planners, okay. which is quite a famous banqueting um, party planning. And um, that was a great moment. And another friend of mine who was one of the Queen's equities had said to me, you know, I'm doing a special party for Lord Vesey, who was the Queen's man on horses. Hi. He was in charge of all horses. And he was getting a special medal and uh, he was retiring. And I did that in a little, I think it's a gatehouse in Buckingham Palace. I'm not sure if that's the correct terminology. Okay. But it was beautiful. It was a beautiful house. And the Queen came and she's got this shawl and her hat. And the Duke of Edinburgh was there as well. And honestly, I've done things in Buckingham Palace. I've done a couple of dinners in Buckingham Palace. Okay. I've done lots of state banquets. This is very intimate. But that was very intimate. And honestly, it was absolutely fantastic. So I've done these. This is the, the I'm building up to a little story. Okay. So I don't know how many Christmases ago it was. It's two or three. The Queen came on a private visit with Lady Elizabeth Hansen after the dinner. And the Queen was sitting at the table and they asked for me to go and see her. And um, she had come to look at the Christmas tree in the Ritz. And there was only... I think it was seven ladies okay. and one gentleman, I think. Anyway, I'm asked up there and Lady Elizabeth said, Your Majesty, you know, remember John, he cooked the meal at my house four weeks ago. And the Queen looked at me. She says, I'm sure you'll forgive me, Chef. I see so many faces, but I can't remember everyone. I went, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, Your Majesty. And anyway, we had a quick chat and everything. And I thought, that's real. Yeah. It's real. Yeah. And um, as I was leaving, I heard her say to the restaurant manager, tell me, how old is uh, the chef? And I think I was 61, so that will tell you. Okay. It's three years ago. Yeah. And I think I said 61. And she said, my goodness, isn't he doing well? Could you pass on my compliments again? <laughs> wow. I'll never forget it. And, oh, I told you that I was divorced. So Lady Elizabeth Anson had been very, very kind to me over the... I've known her for many, many years. And, right. And did lots of very prestige functions with her. When I got a divorce, I separated, she said to me, there's the key to my house. If you're ever stuck, you know where you can come. And as the Queen said this, she said, you know, Your Majesty, he's got the key to my door. And the Queen went... <laughs> and she explained that... And that's the God's honest truth. Did you ever use the key? No. <laughs> but it was a it was a lovely thing because we, you know, it was... Just kindness, what yeah. a big heart. Yeah. That's incredible, what a story. Yes. What did the Queen like to eat? Is there you any know, particular dish, though, that you cooked? That you... I think it would be Dover sole. Okay. There, there were never complications. Okay. I think straightforward food. Whenever I've cooked, and I think I've cooked for the Queen, certainly... 15 times. Wow. And when there were any menus that were sent out, we were always told, you know, conservative. I think that's the best way to describe it. Okay. You know, classic British yes. fare. Okay. Wonderful. And, you know, we used to keep the certain things okay. all the time. And, you know, it's not getting complicated. No, of course. Tried and tested. Yeah, really, every you time. Know. Every time. And Margaret Thatcher, was she the same? Margaret Thatcher, she was... Consummate, and I tell you, she used to have the... Can I tell you a story about Margaret Yes, Thatcher? please do. She always used to have consummate, dove soul, spinach. 
There you go. <laughs> that was it. Stand every time. And you she... can never convince, try something else. It was... This is a little bit of a story, but it's a great story. Go on. And it's probably one of my one of my second proudest moments. Firstly, I must tell you that, and I can't remember the year, but it was in Claridge's and the Queen was there. Right. It was Lady Thatcher's 70th birthday party. There were 100 guests in Claridge's. Wonderful. The Queen was there. Wow. I can tell you the Queen was supposed to leave at 11 o'clock. She stayed until uh, I think it was 11, 11.50. Wow. Because everybody was saying, Queen's still here. <laughs> the Queen's still <laughs> she here. She must have been having a wonderful time. And we always had situations where there would be something go wrong at certain times, you know. And this particular day, we lost a couple of partridge. And it was the first time that there was a plated dish done in Claridge's on a banquet. Nobody noticed. We lost some partridges. They were cooked and everything was ready. Right. But at one point, I said, where are they? <laughs> we got them. Anyway, that was a great dinner. And anyway, the thing was, I literally, many, many years later, there's a man called Peter Alice, who was a golf commentator for the BBC, one of the most famous golf commentators. People hear his voice, they know it's Peter Alice. Right. Okay. And he used to do a thing called Around with Alice. But this, for charity purposes, he had organised we said, can we do a lunch with Alice? Because he was a great speaker of stories and things. And I went up to see him after this lunch. And this was many years later after cooking for the Lady Thatcher. Right. Peter was up there. He said, have you seen who's over there in the corner? I said, yes, Peter. He says, Lady Thatcher. I said, she lives here. <laughs> and he said, oh, my God. He said, do you speak to her? I said, no, I'll leave her to herself, and I told him the story of cooking her 70th birthday. Yeah. And uh, he says, go and see her. I said, no, I tend to, you know, just let her get on. She was with her agent, and she was at the end of her life. Okay. The reason she was actually, she had been in hospital, and the Barclay family had offered her a residence in the Ritz to recuperate. Oh, wonderful. And she actually died in the Ritz. Oh, gosh. Anyway, she was sitting in the corner, and Peter was saying, you better go and see her and speak to her. I said, no, Peter, no. He said, if you don't, he's quite a man. Okay. He gets out of his chair. If you don't, I'm going to take you. I said, sit down. Oh, okay, fine. I'll do I'll it. Go, okay. <laughs> so off I went. I hadn't spoke to her for a long time because we allowed her a privacy. I walked up the table. I said, Lady Thatcher, you'll not remember me. I said, but I did your 70th birthday in Claridge's. She said, my dear boy, of course I remember. She said, I remember the Dover sole that I had with the champagne sauce. And I'm going, oh, my God. Wow. And she said, and not only that, the chicken, the breast of chicken with the morals and everything was amazing. Wow. And she said, but to top the lot, and this was Lady, Lady Elizabeth Anson's edition in right. the terminology, she said that, Apple and bramble dessert you did. I went, oh, my. <laughs> I, honestly, I was melting at the <laughs> knees. And I said, this lady who is not supposed to remember anything, I turned around. There's about 20 steps from the restaurant to the kitchen. I did it in two. <laughs> run into the kitchen. And I went, I gathered everybody around. I said, this has just happened to me. It's one of the nicest things Huge. that 
could. I'm fortunate, aren't I? Just incredible. Because wow. pop stars and things and celebrity don't bother me at all. Yeah. But if you take, you know, people like Thatcher or royal family, I mean, my hero is the king. Yes. Everything about him is great. And what he does for this country and his forward thinking, he was actually on to me with the Royal Academy and saying, what are you doing about plastics? Probably 16, 17 years ago. Wow. He's my hero. But that, you know, when you have moments like that, you never, ever forget them. And when you think somebody like Margaret Thatcher. Wow. And, oh, I'm going to finish it off with this a little bit. What I had done when I actually, I had a meeting with her. Right. This was in in the restaurant, in the Royal Box in Claridge's. And they said, it's a top VIP. I went there and I looked. I went, oh, my God. I was a nervous wreck. She was sitting there with her husband. And um, she said, you know, tell me, chef. I think she just read me and said, you're very nervous. Yeah. She said, tell me, chef, can I tell you what I eat at home? I said, yes, certainly. So she says, well, in the morning, I don't really eat breakfast. I just have a cup of coffee. She said, I might have a biscuit at 10.30. Lunch, she said, I eat whatever is on the menu. Anything. I'll eat anything. She said, in the afternoon, I might even have a piece of cake sometimes. Dinner, I eat whatever is on the menu. If I go to a function, I never... And she says, and if I'm not actually on a function, I love to have a dinner with my husband. And she says... And do you know what that is? I said, no, I haven't got a clue. She says, anything. She says, because it's always very late when we eat. Anything that I can put in that machine, the microwave, and it goes, ping, from Marks and Spencer. Now, chef, you're in charge. What are you going to cook for me? <laughs> and that's where it comes from. Oh, my goodness. That's, that's a true story. That's fantastic. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Brilliant. John, and thank goodness you did walk up to her and go, yeah. that he pushed you to go and speak exactly. to her. You had all of that which blew your mind. And then I'm guessing that was the last time you ever saw her then. because No, um, ah. in actual fact, it was a couple of months afterwards. I did see her one more one time. One more time. Yeah. Okay. Just wow, what an honour. What an amazing what a, woman. Just you know, incredible. What she did for this. We need somebody like her now. <laughs> Don't be just. You know. Wow, <laughs> my goodness. John, that's a wrap. What Lovely. an interview. You're going to, I mean, stonking <laughs> interview, really. Thank you so very, very much for your time. Oh, thank you. And I mean, we could talk all day long, really. I think you've got, uh, I think you need to write, I know you've got a cookbook, but I think you should write a book, like a memoir. I've really. got a few. Oh, uh, you mean you've got yeah, all the stories. Plough you with champagne and then we'll get them all. <laughs> thank you so very much, John. You're most welcome. And there we have it. What a great interview. I swear we could have literally been gassing all day. We had the most wonderful interview. He was such a gentleman because it was so ba- it was baking hot. And yeah, we were talking for quite a while, but there was just so much to cover. And um, yeah, John, just such a gent, really lovely. He brought his white hat with him and I have it. I'm looking at it right now here in my office. He left that for me to keep, which is a lovely memento and reminder of a cracking interview. Hope you all absolutely loved listening to John and all that he shares. He's got many a story. Yeah, I'd love to get him and Pierre and Wolfgang 
in a room together. And my goodness, can you imagine the stories? Just, yeah, what an amazing interview. I loved it. Loved him. Very excited to go and eat at the Ritz again this week. So by the time you listen to this interview, I will have been and gone and you'll be able to catch up with all of my stories and highlights. And that's it for another fortnight. Busy, busy, busy. Two more guest chefs coming to film with us. And then it's all systems go, bringing it all to life. And the countdown will indeed begin in the next few weeks towards my Muy Bueno Academy of Culinary Arts, Maca. Very excited to share all of that with all of you and so much more. And we are getting very busy. So if you are a chef looking to enter the private world of chefs working in private households or, of course, super yachts, then get registering with us as well at MyMoyBuenoPrivateChefs.com. And of course, follow MyMoyBueno, MyMoyBuenoChefs, and use our hashtag MyMoyBuenoChefs when posting all your best dishes to be part of our ever-growing, amazing culinary community. And that is it from me. I'm going to be diving headfirst. I've got a few visits this week. I'm off to Endo at the Rotundo for the first time ever on Friday, which I'm looking forward to and then got Soho Farmhouse, their food festival on Saturday, and then of course the Ritz on Sunday. And then lots of filming, lots of craziness, and bringing all the magic together in all the ways. And that is it from me. Have a great next fortnight, everyone. I'll be back then.